everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All-Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. So you're going to laugh at this. Uh, I think I told you guys, uh, Kelly had a project where she had to go through and do some ancestry.com. Mm-hmm. So she only went like, she figured basically went like one generation back and then she dumped it on my lap. Like, Hey dad, can you figure this out? And you know, I'm a psycho. She just wrote down her parents' names. <laughs> yeah. That's about all she did. And she's like, Hey dad, can you help me with this? And it was like, you know, this is a couple weeks ago. It was like a Friday night at about like six o'clock. Oh. And, uh, She's like, I'm like, well, when's this due? She's like, uh, I got to have it due for Monday. And I'm like, how far are you supposed to go back? She's like, well, they, they want us to do a detailed job. <sighs> okay. So I fired it up. I got her back to like the 1600s on everybody's side. <laughs> like I fucking like I put way too much. I basically stayed up real late on uh, Friday and all day Saturday, Sunday night and uh, got it all done. So we have, um, but there was, a, it answered a bunch of questions that I just like things I was told just weren't true. Uh, by my uh, by my family, so come to find out that uh, when my grandfather in World War One, he and his brother were sent. Um, my gr- my great grandmother passed away. Uh, they were living in the tunnels while the Germans were bombing World War One. So they put all the kids on boats and sent them to Western Canada as orphans. So my grand my great grandfather stayed. Uh, my grandfather and his brother went, and then his other brother was serving the war. Met them later. But uh, they were like living in like uh, Birmingham and like they Liverpool and like these areas. And um, so <clears throat> about that time, I uh, uh, like I was uh, talking to Harry about some of those areas. And Harry's like, oh, you should watch Peaky Blinders. And that takes place in Birmingham and London mm-hmm. and all those areas are right about that time, like right after, you know, like 1919, So I started watching that show. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's fucking awesome. It's a pretty damn good show. But it just makes me realize exactly how fucking soft we are as people like i know it's a fictitious show and it didn't really happen but like if it's historically accurate in any way holy shit like the one like like the women are pregnant the one chick's smoking she's totally doing coke like uh like they were they were calling it like tokyo and like they like they're basically doing a bunch of coke she's like oh yeah it makes me feel like i'm you know having a good day like these people get their ass kicked like it's a fucking super violent show but just like person just randomly dies like it's hit by something and they just kind of sweep him like oh, he's dead like it just uh it just goes to show you like and i i said to harry i was like man it made me realize like if that shows historically accurate in any way how soft we are harry's like oh yeah like the best ass whooping i've had is if i got some rough toilet paper and i fucking <laughs> laughed he's like like how far we've come like these dudes are like i mean it, it's a pretty good show like i don't want to ruin it for you guys but man it's uh it's violent it's um it's, it's got a ton of plot like um i think it's cool as shit but so yesterday, um, I took the kids to go get uh, lunch, and I knew that the uh, uh, that the Chiefs game was starting late, or it was starting at two o'clock. And I knew we weren't going to back in time, so I went to record it, and I got home and wasn't in a rush. So I was about an hour behind when we started. Incredible game! Uh, I was stoked to watch it. But as I'm in the third quarter and the Chiefs are still in control of the game, I get a text message from Luke. How many cheeseburgers is Andy Reid going to need to eat to drown his sorrows? And I was like, fuck. So I text him back. I'm like, you know, I started late. I'm only in the third quarter. You totally ruined it for me. And he was like, yes. As many times as I've ruined everything for him as being the spoiler, the fact that he had the wherewithal to try to spoil it on me was fucking awesome. 
And it was unintentional too, which makes and it even better. And then I proceeded to watch the game anyway, and I was totally happy to know that Joe Burrow and the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. Oh my, yeah, big uh, dick energy. Uh, Refuse dude, to lose. I, dude, that kid put that entire team on his back and marched him down. Dude, his offensive line is not good. Like the amount of pressure. I mean, that kid was like, a, uh, dude, he had an eight, like out, you know, running out of the pocket, pocket collapses. Running for 18 yards, knows where the first down is, wherewithal, and his ability to move on the field and kind of command everything. Huge respect for that kid, man. I mean, taking a team that was absolute fucking garbage and and putting him on his back and getting the 30 years. Dude, you guys heard me make jokes about fucking playing for the Bengals or Cleveland being like the the last stop on your way to fucking purgatory. Uh, and they, they get Joe Burrow. And in his second year to have a first – like. Have a kid of that caliber in his second year after coming off an injury because then he get blew out his knee in his first year. Yes, ACL. last year. Yeah, last year. Coming back, like, dude, uh, I am. A, I'll forever be a Tom Brady fan. I hope. Uh, I, I wish he'd walked away last year. Uh, you know, win the Super Bowl right off into the sunset. He came back this year. That whole AB thing and all that bullshit that that team was going through. He didn't deserve that in his last year. Maybe he was. Uh, an orchestrator in it, but like that guy deserves to to roll out like Peyton Manning on a fucking on a win. So I have a hard time seeing Tom Brady hanging it up. And uh, I saw that that he retired, but then his dad came back and said no, and it has been confirmed. So I mean, there's a little controversy there. Uh, do I see him retiring? No, I don't see him going out on that. Well, hold on. So this is where this is what we can really get into now. I was trying to get to this, but it takes a minute to get there. Jennifer Aniston. Cocaine, Tom Brady, Adam Schefter. Yeah, I get how your mind works. I, yeah. Dude, I, yeah, like uh, as as you know, it, it takes me a little bit to get places. You know, you're just Mister, uh, you know, obvious. Just jump right in. I like to, you know, weasel Captain my way in the back obvious. door. Little foreplay. The, yeah, I like. Well, to, here's what I like. I like to Rick Adam, James your face. Tom Tom Brady decides to retire, but then wants to be the one to break the news. Adam Schefter, being the little worm, breaks the news. How did he know? Tom Brady, I think, is going to come back as a spite season so he can be the one to control his own destiny, not the worm. Uh, I firmly agree with you. Spite uh, season. Uh, dude, let me tell you, like the one thing Tom Brady is going out on, I mean, he's basically he's going to play uh, Sinatra's my way. Like he wants to go out. I think the problem, though, is he like he needs to hang back you need to see what money they have in the cap because I know that they're going to have some financial issues. They spent a lot to try to get this team back together. Uh, you know, So I'm interested to see what happens with the cap and the spending. And he probably is just going to hang out and see what happens. And if they're able to bring back the people and they're able to put players around him that are going to put him in a situation where he can potentially get back to the Super Bowl, I think he comes back. I think if they don't, I think he's fucking done. Or Jimmy Garoppolo is out in San Francisco. Tom Brady, enter him into that whole scenario where you got some awesome ballers and one hell of a defense. The only key link they're missing, quarterback. So he replaces Garoppolo again. (sighs) First of all, that would never happen because the Niners have thwarted him twice. They spited him. Mariucci spited him, didn't draft him the first time out. And then in free agency, he wanted to go there, and they weren't interested. Well... Free but, agency way back, I think it was a West Coast East Coast kids thing. Well, he, they, uh, he flew back every. Yeah, well, he he you know he's a West Coast kid, 
but you know, and the best is uh, he called Mariucci out on it. Mariucci's such a fucking worm. Uh, he, he was like, oh, you know, we brought in all these kids and, you know, we were looking for a West coast guy and Tom really wasn't the guy we were looking for. And Mary, she was giving every excuse on the fact that, uh, his ability to evaluate talent wasn't the fucking reason. And if Mary, she was such a good fucking coach, why has he been in the fucking, uh, announcer's booth for the last 20 years? Well, he's on commercials now too. Dude. Know your limits. Well, I mean, that's the rules. But I mean, look at Cower and those guys. So Cower went out on a Super Bowl. What did Mary Chi go out on? Detroit uh, water Lions. pump, water oh, pump. Yeah, bullshitter. Okay. And I like Mooch. But uh, and the best is I uh, when I saw him at Tony's Hall of Fame, we were fucking busted balls, and I was like, "Hey, coach, it's so good to see you. I'm really glad that you really made your name in the fucking booth." And he was like, "Fuck you, Wellborn." And I'm like, "Yeah, dude. I wish I was in the booth with you, but you know, I see how it goes." But uh, like, so the the issue comes down to. Uh, I think Brady wants to control his own narrative. I, I firmly agree, but I think he's going to hang back. But the problem, though, is like as a dude with that much uh, bravado and ego and all this, you know, wrapped up in him, like he can't let Peyton Manning go out. Like he, you know, Peyton got a chance to literally win the Super Bowl and ride out on the fucking, you know, on the, uh, you know, on the, on the last parade. leg. Because part of that season, he got benched for Brock Osweiler, who sucks ass. Yeah. As a Houston Texans fan, I could say that. Yeah. Um, man got paid though, so good on his agent. But well, he you know he got paid in Papa John's. Peyton Manning, not yeah. Brock. Brock oh, yeah. got cold hard cash. Yeah, from no. Houston, and then yeah. yeah, he was awful. Well, no, uh, part of Peyton's deal was he got uh, Papa John's. I think he got forty Papa John's. Well, weren't you the one that said he's going to buy the Broncos with Elway and Eli? Uh, no. So he and his brother, I think, put together a thing. And I'm interested to see if they include John Elway in that deal. I know Elway was kind of lobbying to get in on that. But uh, I could very well see the Peyton, uh, the, uh, Peyton and his brother being like, fuck you. Which, I, dude, it, like, man. Cooper, I, also on commercials, hilarious. Uh Dude, uh, Peyton is uh, as funny an individual as you see on TV, and he's really taken this whole thing. Like, I don't know, did you see his whole bowling thing for, uh, commercial for the Super Bowl? Uh-huh. He's a funny dude, man. I mean, and just natural good for this. So uh, I'm stoked for him. But I think uh, the Tom Brady thing is extremely interesting. I just like when I saw it break, and what's wild is that his TB12 uh, Instagram, which I'm sure is not run by him, was like, you know, thank you so much for all you've done. So what I'm thinking happened is that they saw it break and were late to it and basically put out that tweet because it ended up getting deleted later on. Well, Schefter, I think he just how did wants that to see his name on the bottom line. You think Schefter, how did, how did he score that information or you think he just did it just to make it up? This, I don't know. I was lacrosse tournament and all the kids were like, bah, bah, breaking news, bah. So they, I heard from them because they're all on their phones when but that's a whole different story. The, uh, <laughs> that's why you guys like, lost. Like, get off your fucking phones. <laughs> I, they want that like, pick up your fucking skateboard. <laughs> yeah. Damn, kids. Old man yells at cloud. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, no, I, I think uh, Tom is going to be, or, or you know what? I mean, the best thing to do if he retired, go sign with the Patriots for a 10-day contract and retire as a Patriot. But I also, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I can't really see him. What's he going to I mean, he, he had some really interesting cryptic things about crypto, you know, literally. Well, yeah, he's doing the crypto thing, but uh, talking about being a father and wanting to be around his kids more and this, and it's more important. And I'm like, dude, uh, 
I, I like, it's going to be tough. Yeah, 45 is a nice round number. I think he could come back and do it. I mean, he could still play at a high level. He's still one of the best. He's got the body for it, too. Yeah. I mean, the guys, I mean, like whatever, whatever he's doing, he's fucking think. doing it right. Look, it's all Giselle. It's you like think? Superpower energy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she got that big dick energy. <laughs> just bleeding on him. That fucking Joe Burrow. But what I was saying was, it's pretty interesting that you have a guy like Brady who at the end of his career with the NFL, I mean, the best to ever do the game. And I hate that term where people are like, the goat, the goat, like the greatest of all time. It's You know uh, who invented that, right? Uh, wasn't it uh, Charles Barkley? No, LL Cool J. Oh, was it LL Cool J? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Who also wrote probably one of the greatest lines in rap history. I ate on us. Hot sex on a platter. <laughs> right in his song doing it and doing it doing it well uh, that deal and he goes hot sex on a platter to this day my favorite line in any rap song like the fact that he worked hot sex on a platter into a song I'm a fucking big fan too short didn't do that so you have Tom Brady at the end of his career coming out you know this whole deal and you have a kid like a Joe Burrow it's so interesting when like one door closes another one open and you have this kid show up uh, all, coming off an injury, number one pick overall. I mean, like, you know, has this, you know, LSU deal and goes in and like flashes of greatness. It almost makes you think like, man, like, you know, is this the era pair, you know? And, and uh, you know, Mahomes is a great quarterback. So, I mean, he, that kid has proven it over and over again. But I'll tell you, I was really impressed by seeing Joe Burrow play. And he's got, yeah, he's got the chance to become the first person to win the Heisman national title in a Super Bowl. There's never been any, ever been anybody else to do that. Uh, I am not a Sean McVay fan, and I'm not a Rams fan. My granddad was a Rams fan. I'm rooting for the Bengals in this one, mm. uh, even though I'm from L.A. Um, yeah, I'm all about Bengals in this one, too, just solely uh, off the, uh, the BDE. But I, I'll tell you this. Uh, Matthew Stafford lived in purgatory playing for the fucking Detroit Lions for all those years and almost saw his career go the way of uh, Megatron and uh, Barry uh, Sanders where he had to retire in this fucking anonymity. And uh, he, dude, he got thrown a huge lifeline where they pulled him out. And what's wild is that the Rams looked and thought, you know, we're one player away. We could trade quarterbacks, get rid of golf and bring this dude and we could go to the Super Bowl. They were right. Not just one player. No, they brought in um, Von Miller. Von Miller. They also brought in your, who had to leave Cleveland after that, you know, he was, after that podcast where the chick talked about him like getting a, I was gonna a say, dump taken his, on his chest. His father was <laughs> tweeting on his behalf, and you can't mend that relationship with your quarterback. Uh, I'm just not a fan of the all-star teams. I think the Rams went too hard in the uh, the NBA approach of just piecing together all-stars. In yeah. the, I mean, the Yankee way, get out of here. Build your team the Bengal way. Through the draft. Well, Get lucky. So they got. I mean, Vaughn, it only took thirty uh, years. Yeah, they got Vaughn Miller. I mean, who else they got? They got Donaldson. Um, I mean, they got stacked defense. Donald. Aaron Donald. Or, yeah, 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 not Donaldson. Um, and then they have. I mean, dude, they got good receivers. Uh, that was a stupid play that that kid uh, had with the uh, the late hit, uh, or uh, as um, Odell Beckham Jr. was going down. Uh, that head. Yeah, yeah, that was stupid. And dude, he came out today and was, you know, but that dude was in his ear the entire time talking shit to him. But that's part of the that's game. That's part of his game and getting him to do something stupid. Well, the there was the dropped interception. Essentially, the championship was dropped in that interception. That was another good game. So it, it's been pretty amazing because for the most part, usually the most exciting games are the 
uh, or the wild card games. And then you get to the divisionals and then like, you know, they're usually all right. And then like, you know, the, the championship games are usually, eh, and the Super Bowl is like, uh, but I mean, the last two weeks football has been unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The Buffalo game was unreal. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden now you have the chiefs go into overtime twice. They both, you know, the first time they win it, they go right down, you know, no, the Buffalo doesn't play defense. They score a touchdown. Yeah. Buffalo, terrible defense. But then you watch this game, all of a sudden, you know, now you have the Bengals bowing up. <laughs> oh, fucking Buffalo. <laughs> I mean, what what's amazing? <laughs> like, oh boy. Uh and, and I'll tell you, I'm a Buffalo fan. I mean, I like Josh Allen and uh, I'm even bigger fan of uh uh Minnie Reed, uh, their head coach. Big Dermot. Yeah, Sean McDermott, aka Minnie Reed, as we used to call him. He was Andy Reed's basically lapdog. He had to basically feed Andy and get Andy's food for him when I was a rookie or my first couple of years in the NFL. And that dude went from basically having to be Andy Reid's personal meal to, uh, service delivery to being a badass head coach. I mean, Spags, you know, another great coach. So, I mean, no, it's cool to see. Uh, but, yeah, man, I was bummed for Josh Allen. I would have loved to have seen Buffalo. And just to talk Charles off the ledge, <laughs> you know. But now he's just talking for closer to it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he's so mad over there. Look at him. He's just hands in his pockets, feet jiggling. He's like, fucking assholes. He's like, I'm totally, I'm totally gonna Photoshop a dick in this. <laughs> he's like he single splice like in Fight Club, where he's like he's single sized a single frame of pornography into child's film. Well, that's the Buffalo way, because they throw dildos onto the field when it's not going their way. Oh, really? Charles confirm? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a purple dildo. Uh, Charles, as a Bills fan, you go through security. Like, what is there signage up? Please, no dildos. Are they patting you down, looking well, for extra? They're actually. They're, it's all me. No, they're like it's you can leave your. The, you can bring your dildos. Don't bring your dildos. Dude, how great is that? They're like, you know what? I'm just gonna throw. Is that a face on the dildo right up there? Oh, there's sure a. Is. There's a lot of them. Is, is there more than one dildo in there? That's fucking hilarious. Can you imagine just hucking dildos? It's so great. What does it say? Like These are multiple games. <laughs> Charles, don't tell us what you Googled to find this. So multiple dildos went on the field? It's a thing. <laughs> so Patriots. What does it say on that one, Charles? It's got a face. Yeah. Brady's. Brady. <laughs> Oh, God damn it. God damn it. You know, the internet and Buffalo fans are pretty fucking hilarious. Uh, But I am excited for the Super Bowl. I mean, this is like, it's been a long time since I've been excited for one. And uh, just because I think you have like that stacked LA Lakers, they went out, they got all the free agents, and then you got this literally just young gunslinger, fucking cool Joe, fucking Burrow rolling in, uh, iced out, dude. that kid, I, I'm a fan. I like it. I, I hope he comes in and plays well. I just he doesn't seem like the type of person to get rattled with the pressure because he's played at a high level. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the people he has uh, surrounding him are not. But that's the quality. I mean, that's that's the the representation of a leader. He will bring them up and so, allow them to play better than their. Yeah, I mean, but like uh, like uh, uh, like your high school, like you guys went up and played that uh, big school up in Dallas. What was it called? Dallas Jesuit. Dallas Jesuit. I mean, but those kids like going up there, that was like a big deal for them, 
right? Because you said those guys are like the top in the state. So I, I, I sometimes wonder that like you have a, a situation where the, you know, the game's going to be in LA. So it's going to be star studded. You're taking all these hayseeds out of, uh, you know, Cincinnati and sending them out there. I'm just thinking. But they're not from Cincinnati. And so there's other LSU championship Tigers on the team. So Burrow's that, from Ohio. I understand that. Yeah. So that that's equal. But when he won the national championship with LSU, Cincinnati Bengals have since brought those ty- more Tigers in. Yeah, I saw the picture of the guy carrying him on the field. Yeah, one LSU. of his, his, yeah, linemen, his linemen. And then Chase, his wide receiver, who's amazing. Uh, so I'm, fun to I'm watch. rooting for him. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm rooting for the Bengals. It'd be great. I just think it's going to be tough to beat LA in LA. I mean, unless something great there comes no, up, they have no home field advantage. Uh, well, there's going to be a lot of celebrities there because you know celebrities only come out when they can get the other picture on camera. But what I'm really interested in is I hope that there's some really good podcasts that come out with more stories about Odell Beckham Jr. getting pooped on. That's why he had to leave Cleveland. He can't play for the Browns with that type of shit out there. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> he sucks. Yeah. I'd say I'm pulling more for the Bengals than rooting against the Rams, but I'm certainly I'm rooting against the Rams. Rooting against yeah, the Rams. Yeah. yeah. Charles, can you take that picture down from the Yeah, it looks like a <laughs> looks look it looks like a young McQuilkin just... up there. <laughs> uh, it's all wrinkly too. It's all <laughs> shade balls. Real sturdy. All um, right. So we mentioned the tournament in which my lacrosse team was playing. During set halftime. the stage for us. Yeah. Okay. During halftime. So just some young backwoods kids. Just they get on a bus, kind of like what's uh what was the one where um, Gene Hackman where they were basketball? What was uh, um, the same length? Hoosiers. I didn't measure the field. So Hoosiers, (laughs) they get on a bus from Dripping. The whole Dripping Springs town follows them in the bus to go up there while their lacrosse team takes on this Jesuit high school in Dallas. The the key point is, during halftime... <laughs> Did you measure the field? Pre- no, I didn't. That's my first mistake. Did you fucking not learn anything from Gene Hackman and Hoosiers? It's six feet by six feet. <laughs> it's the same goal. No. Next time. I'm saving that. You can't just give your best pregame speeches that you stole from movies Wait, every is, game. I, isn't that what... I, Easy. So then, <laughs> Al Pacino, Any Giving Sunday. Uh, Hold on. Probably the best speech. Ooh, you get your whole head different conversation straight up her ass another time. God damn it. This so, is what we do. We derail you. Played during uh pregame and Led Zeppelin came on. It's immigrant song, so I'm I'm like fucking charged up. Yeah. And one of the dudes next to me was like, Ugh, what is this? So some 16-year-old kid didn't know who Led Zeppelin was and made the comment of this is awful. And I'm like, first off, no. And then what did they share? Travis Scott. Uh, Travis Scott is their go-to hype music, uh, and I'm like, I don't even know who Travis Scott is. Well, rapper. He's a rapper. Uh, Unlike, I mean, he's not as talented as LL Cool J. Well, I mean, is he as talented as Drake? Because I'll tell you, in the rap game, Drake has got the most credibility at this point of anybody. I have. No, I'm the it? wrong person. Uh, he went and DM some Instagram model, showed up and banged her, <laughs> took the condom off, went to the bathroom. <laughs> Put hot sauce in it, tied it up, and threw it in the uh, in the wastebasket. Then she went and recovered the condom, and basically burned herself up inside because there was hot sauce in there. And then tried to sue Drake for basically burning her coochie to the ground. And she came out and sued him and said and told this story 
that he that she she went and recovered the condom and tried to like you know mainline turkey baster herself with it and literally it was like she, her her insides were on fire. Talk about a hot rod. Uh, first of all, Drake just came up massive in my book. That dude is so gangster. That's the most gangster move I've ever heard in my life. Good on him. How did I miss that, dude? It, it was. Why are you so upset? This is amazing. We've we've told this the joke. This told this story before. It's uh, you seem very upset by this. No, I'm just Drake is gangster. I love him. Yeah, we get it. I he mean, started from the bottom and now he's here. I'm really. I can't even tell you what any of his music is, but I'm a fan. Hello, Cool J. Hot sex on a platter. Right. And <laughs> we're joined by Matt Sanis, the foot guy. Speaking, speaking of hot sex on the platter. Dude. Oh, and foot a, fetishes. And foot fetishes. And our question. Okay, but uh, one of the kids doesn't know who Led Zeppelin is. So at that yeah. point, uh, I hope you just go and buy. Well, he, these, they don't have CDs anymore. These kids don't have CD players. No. Well, hopefully Led Zeppelin doesn't pull themselves off Spotify. Let's say that. But you really think Jimmy Page and those guys still own their collection? No. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, a common thread throughout the team because they're both in season for the sport and they're also off-season training. So they're double dipping in their performance. And a lot of the athletes are coming up with shin splints and questions about mm-hmm. it. So we got different let's let's paint the picture. We got different surfaces that essentially they're 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 using in different shoes. So we got sprinting, whether it's on concrete or the ground or the track. And we have weightlifting, of course, getting some pressure in there. And then we got cleats on turf. So having some fun, all these different surfaces, different shoes, different things. And many of the dual sport are coming up with shin splints. Are they really shin splints or are they just categorized as shin splints? Why is it when anybody has any tightness in their in their anterior tip? Is it called a shin splint? Or is that how they're defined as shin splints? Well, I think we have to create a definition first to get a better understanding. Of I like it. Let's, let's start it. there. Yeah. So pain on the shin as they've brought it up to different coaches and then bring these movement, training, pain questions to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's, hey, I have shin splints. That's how it's described and started with. And then going on through some exploring of what else is going on in their training. Do you know what it reminds me of? Uh, when people got a little, uh, so when we were at the gym, all of a sudden, like we did a bunch of kettlebell swings and some stuff. And everybody started having a little bit of back tightness. So magically, one person went to a doctor who told them they had sciatica. And then everybody in the gym had sciatica because it was the easiest so definition. Contagious. It, it was to the point where I was like, don't sit on the floor. You're going to catch sciatica. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I think what happens a lot of times, and at least uh, the, the de- like shin splints is one of those things. I have seen people with shin splints. Mm-hmm. I've also seen people that uh, uh, are basically like don't have a ton of range of motion, uh, especially dorsiflexion, a ton of running. And now all of a sudden they have that dynamic weighted and they start getting really tight anterior tibialis. And like I think the anterior tib tightness in that isn't necessarily shin splints because the shin splints is actually a fraying of, uh, of well, the sheath. Well, it, it's a pooling of the muscle on the periosteum of the bone, and it creates an inflammation in around that junction area, and that's technically what shin splints is and how it develops. But there's you mentioned the anterior tibialis. That's one form of shin splints. There's also the posterior tibialis, oh. which is commonly referred to as medial tibial stress syndrome. 
Okay. So you have the muscle that comes along the inside leg, inside area of the tibia and runs down along the ankle bone and inserts into the bottom of the foot. That muscle can also start to pull away at the bone as well. And the, or you could have it on the front of the shin, like you mentioned, with the anterior tibialis. And then technically you can theoretically get it on, on the outside edge, which is... Is it like compartment syndrome where they like start to get like swelling well, and, and fluid in it? It can if it progresses that far. And we, I've seen it where it goes to that length and then it becomes a real medical emergency because you have to go in there and get that drained. shit drained. Yeah. And it's a nasty scar, dude. It's like railroad tracks. They have to, they have to like fillet you mm. from the ankle all the way up to the knee. So how, I mean, is it something mm. that, uh, um, and like I, I've never had shin splints, but I've had mm. the front of my knee or the front of my shins tight mm-hmm. because he, because I felt like I, you know, uh, like there's almost like a conditioning aspect where if you haven't done a ton of running, all of a sudden the, the, the front of your shins gets kind of tight and uh, just kind of a deconditioned state. So can you get into a little understanding of like, is it something that once you get shin sprints, you have to deal with, or is there a training that allows you to avoid it? Because it feels like avoidance is a lot better than once you have it, fuck, now how do I get rid of it? Yeah, it's always going to be easier to try and prevent it through training than to try and put out the fire when it actually happens. Um, so you don't get beyond, behind the eight ball on it. But essentially, the, the anterior tibialis and even the posterior tibialis, their main role functionally is a, as a brake. They're decelerators, right? So if you think about running and sprinting, they're essentially controlling your foot down to the ground or the shin coming forward. So the knee coming out towards the toe anterior tibialis can control that motion and decelerate it down along with the calf and everything around there. Um, so they can act concentrically and eccentrically, but specifically for the posterior tibialis with that muscle coming underneath the foot, the arch needs to be able to flatten, right? To be able to absorb that load. So they're, they're both what we call yielders. They're supposed to be controlling the eccentric phase of the motion with running and sprinting. And if you don't have enough range of motion, like you alluded to with dorsiflexion, the same can be said conversely too for plantar flexion. Like you need to be able to plantar flex fully to be able to get that anterior tibialis to be able to lengthen out fully mm-hmm. as well. So if you're working in the shortened range of motion constantly, like let's just say most, most people have a very limited amount of ankle dorsiflexion. It's like 10 degrees. Mm-hmm. It's freaking terrible, right? So you can think about it this way. That muscle is just constantly pulling in a shortened range and the, on the periosteum and the bone nets where it gets really irritated. So from a training standpoint, the best thing that you can do is one, treat it like the muscle it is. It's, it's a break, right? And it's also a break that has to have a lot of endurance. So high repetition, high load for it, but then also treating it in a closed chain to be able to decelerate your body against gravity as well. Mm. So uh, would it be a hole maybe in their uh, off-season training or something that they're not focusing on doing the things they need to maintain range of motion, both in plantar flexion and dorsiflexion. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of those things that, you know, we see with especially kids. Is it a, uh, is it a mechanism where like, for example, if we were to go in and take all Texas kids and do an ankle assessment on, on their plantar and their dorsiflexion, that it might be predictive of potentially getting shin splints if they were limited on the range. Big picture. Yes. Right. Because like I was saying, like kids, especially nowadays in the high school age, they spend a lot of time sitting on the phones and everything. So their ankles are never really being loaded fully. Right. We know that we can be in the gym training for 60 to 90 minutes. But if you spend most of the rest of your day sitting, it's kind of counteracting everything that you just did in the gym anyway. So you have to, yes, attack it in the gym, but then also spend some time outside the gym so that you don't go backwards as well. So kind of like a daily maintenance type of a thing, but you have to work both ends of the spectrum, like dorsiflexion is important, but also that plantar flexion component as well. Well, within the warmups, we are hitting yeah. cocky walks and heel walks. Mm. Heel walks were a big one. I actually 
in the flow of things, introduced heel walks mm-hmm. before our cocky walks. Uh, would um, like uh, uh, after they get done with their dynamic warm up and their prep stuff, would it make sense to maybe put some bands or really even just a strap around and like force them into like uh, you know we we had those um, uh, they were like some form of like stitch nylon, but they had mm-hmm. loops in them and you could put them around your toe. And I used to grab and actually pull uh, for dorsiflexion, then have somebody pull me on plantar flexion and kind of force it. And I'll tell you when that happened, if I didn't do that, I would start to feel like on my right knee, my anterior tip would get bound mm-hmm. and then it would get kind of painful. And I'd almost have to like crack it and I like I'll almost pull my foot down and kind of get it to adjust. And then I could kind of manipulate it a little bit. Yeah. I think that's one way to do it. You have a training partner. It's great. Like we love the manual resistance stuff for the anterior tip and it's a great way to overload it eccentrically. But if you don't, have a training partner how else can you bands try and affect it uh i don't think the bands are i think they're good to get like that burning effect from an endurance standpoint but it's just not enough force to make any appreciable adaptable change like you have to do it with your foot on the ground and when we talk about dorsiflexion dorsiflexion is going to be limited by the knee position right okay. whether the knee is bent or whether it's straight and that's going to have an effect with uh with the gastroc or the soleus so soleus is more active with the knee bent gastroc the big meaty portion on the back of the calf, you can see more active with the knee straight. So it's going to be better to get somebody into a loaded position, like using a slant board or having their um, feet on like a 45 pound plate, a few inches off the ground. So you have some range of motion to work through and load them up and get some load in a, in a closed connect chain fashion like that versus an open connect chain with a band. Cool. Yeah. In two different positions. So uh, I can do one of those. I was thinking manual resistance, but then I got to take them up to the, like the bleachers in the stance. Mm-hmm. So I lose again five minutes if I only have 10, 15 in practice. That's precious. So if you did uh, like a some form of manual resistance, like if you did a few of those and then followed them with like some Maasai jumps where they're getting some a little bit of like fo- fo- focusing on fast twitch and then being able to push their toes. Throwing this out there. Groups at three. Rather than going up to the bleachers, one dude is all fours. The other dude is dead bug on his back, puts his calves on the back, and then partner man resistance. Donkey calf raise? Donkey calf, but donkey man resistance tip. Too weird? Yeah. Because we've done MR growing. We've done Mr. Butterflies. Like, John, we're out there. Oh, I I believe that you have the your athlete's best interest at heart. I just think that uh, at the end of the day, a lot of the problems you're trying to solve, I don't know if you can solve in season. It's tough to solve it, like yeah, I, especially at the game or in practice. So yeah, I, so I, well, I know well, you're working within the framework in which you're sure. presented, but uh, everybody that I've ever seen with shin splints was somebody who had, and not to say your guys are uh, this at all, because I think that they're like with kids with growing connective tissues, and you know, and the fact that they're changing, you know, limb lengths, like uh, you know, oh, anthropometrical ratios, growth. I mean, they're in this really interesting piece. Like I remember, uh, uh, man, I had out of nowhere, I, I grew like four inches one year and, uh, I had really bad Achilles tendonitis. Mm-hmm. And like, I, like, like my mom, we went to see the orthopedic, uh, who was our neighbor and he's like, um, I think your Achilles are just short for your height. He goes, it's like you, you had this growth spurt and like the connective tissues take time. Like now all of a sudden your femurs along, all the angles are changed. And your Achilles are just going to need to stretch. So I stretch my Achilles every day and it ended up being fine. But it got to the point where like I felt like I had to run almost flat-footed. Like I couldn't push off because it was so painful. But it was just – and uh, the doctor's like, weird shit happens when you grow, which I think is hilarious now. A doctor would never tell you that. 
But he's like, dude, you grew a whole bunch. Like connective tissues are going to be short and mm-hmm. uh, it needs time to lengthen the deal. And he was right. Within a few months, it went away. But for like three months, it was awful. So I think for these kids, you know, um, they are in a lot of transitional sports and now all of a sudden they got all this different loading. And I think maybe there could be an issue with that. But at the end of the sure. day, like, I mean, how, like if you were to put like, if um, like how many kids do you think are dealing with this? Ooh, maybe 10, let's call it 10. So out of how many? 30? 45. Okay. So probably 10%. So is it something where, you know, in the off season you implement a protocol like, Hey man, like next year we don't need shin splints to be, so we got to do this two days a week. Maybe at home. Yeah. I mean, that's the way way I would attack it. Uh, The the other one too, and I know this is funny is if, if you bend your knee and you put your foot straight like this, and then that's something I do. I put my hand on my heel and I constantly stretch into plantar flexion. So that's like a big one for me to do this. I think a good and easy one for you guys to do on the field, whether it be during a practice or a game, to at least mitigate some of the effects is put them into a kneeling position. Like you were talking about, it's exactly going to go into pretty much the same pattern with the laces down on the turf and then start to sit the butt back towards the heels. And once you take up all that range of motion, then lean the trunk back and try to pick the knee up off the ground. And that'll put a giant load the anterior tibialis and get a little bit of post. So basically, child's well. pose, but we're lifting the knees. No child's pose. Yeah, no. uh, if we're thinking talking no, yoga, it's camel back. pose. Yeah, leaning back. Yeah. So uh, yeah, like lean, like leaning back. The other one too is um, get some Gatorade cups, half fill them with ice, freeze them, and then rip the top off, and then ice cup. I did t- tell them that one. A yeah. couple guys barked back like ice bad. So th- uh, there's a lot of other information they receive. <sighs> so. Uh, Ice, like I like what, uh, and Kelly Starrett and I have argued on this for fucking years. And I know that there's all these people that battle on this ice and everything. I think the worst thing you can do is add heat to inflammation. Like I think for like, uh, you know, in a, in an acute injury where something happens and you know, this whole thing, you don't need ice and this like, sometimes it's pain relief. Like, like ice cupping and just reducing the inflammation and taking the pain away. Like there's value in that for the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Just calming the nervous system and taking away that pain. Like, uh, like I've never in my life uh, when I've iced an injury ever thought this is bad. Just for the cooling effect when something's hot and you put ice on it, it's almost like, and like I feel myself instantly relax. Even when I get in the, in the cold pool, uh, I get in there and it's, I know it's cold, but like instantly my heart falls like it or my heart rate falls. I think there's just a relaxation. And I think once those kids are inflamed and the shin splints have lit up, just ice cupping it and using a little bit of ice just to cool it, I think would help them tremendously. Yeah. I would advocate for that too. Time it's frame like, on there for the icing stuff. Yeah. Well, typically you don't want to have it on any more than 20 minutes if it's on there by itself. If you're just moving it around two, yeah. three minutes. Just yeah. If you could just down. ice cup it, you just yeah. numb it a little bit and yeah. give them a little bit of relief. Also, what's interesting too with the shin splints, if you're running a ton and then you stop and you ice cup, it'll give you just enough time to relax that maybe it goes away for a second. And I, I know that because when uh, one year when I was playing, I think I told you like something happened weird in my shin where like I almost felt like uh, uh, like the um, uh, like the fibula was kind of getting stuck and I'd almost mm-hmm. have to like take my hands and manipulate it to get it to move. And like it would get kind of painful. And if I stopped and iced it real quick, it would relax and I'd be fine. Yeah, because I did have shin splints freshman year, track, football, track, plus all the training shit. But then completely idiotic, unaware, the trainer just looks at my shoes, folds them in half, and was just like, basically throw these away. 
So I, it was as simple as a shoe swap for me sure. back then. Yeah, because uh, uh, the other one too is, um, I know you guys are probably a little young for this, but they used to sell these things that you used to put under the balls of your feet. Oh, Spud Webb, baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, so a bunch of the basketball players got those and were walking around school with these things. So what they did is they elevated the front of the foot by like four to five inches. And what they were trying to do was like, they were actually shoes even. Uh, and they would walk around and they were trying to keep you like elevated all the time to strengthen your calves because allegedly you could vertical jump like six inches higher. Uh, every one of those dudes got shin splints. Well, why do you think that is? Why do I think that yeah. is? Uh, I think because uh, overuse. Yeah. I, I think that because they were constantly, you know, like your foot's made to go flatten and the way the arch. Now all of a sudden you're in basically a flexed position all the time. And when you do relax, you're getting, you know, it just shortens everything up again. Just like we talked about, you're almost limiting the range of motion even more. Yeah. Right. So it needs, like I said, it needs to be able to lengthen. But Spud Webb, you think he actually wore those or he just, they fucking marked that photo shoot for that photo (laughs) shoot. Uh, But I I, like, man, uh, the um, I've seen guys deal like, so what's funny is I don't remember shin splints in the NFL. And I, and the only time I remember shin splints was in college when uh, we, I think I told you, Keith Gilbertson said we were too fast. I tell you this in the offseason. Came yeah. in and said, you guys are too fast. You guys are too fast as a team. We need better endurance in the fourth quarter. So instead, so he changed the conditioning test to uh, a mile run. Mm. And so we stopped sprinting and everybody was just doing mile runs to try to pass our conditioning test. It's kind of like in the Army, like, oh, we're going to do push-ups, sit-ups, and a mile run. Nobody trains. Everybody just trains for the test. Same thing. And uh, everybody started getting chin splints because you're a bunch of 300-pound dudes are out there trying to run sub-seven-minute miles. Way too many reps. Yeah, it was just fucking way too many sprints. Yep. And then we ended up getting our fucking dicks kicked in the dirt the next year. Uh, went like three and eight, and Gilbertson gets fired and is like, man, I tried to do it. I'm like, oh, my God, this was awful. Um, first of all, as a, as a football team, if anybody ever tells you you're too fast, you go, good, let's get faster. Yeah, we. you told that story to Boyd Epley, and his response is quite comical. What did, he, uh, what did he say? Our listeners will have to tune in. Uh, find out. Find out. Uh, you know what? That was a great he's podcast. A tease. That was a great podcast. And I he's know, great. unfortunately, uh, like he's not going to have the same clout as a Jay Cutler. But in terms of strength coaching, <laughs> like that dude sits at the top. I mean, he was pro- he is the first strength coach. And he started the NSCA. I mean, the dude's just a legend and uh, was super cool to talk to and connect with. Um, but I think with that shin splint thing, man, like I do remember if people shin splints, they would stop and they would ice cup them for like three to five minutes and then put them back out there and they were usually okay. Yeah. And I, I like I'm um, and I'm thinking about the mechanism for it. Maybe it just gives them enough time to like it's lit up a little bit of ice, relax and then get them back out there. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a great opportunity, especially when they're hot like that, just to be able to get them to move again and continue to play. You know, you, you brought up the shoe, the cleat thing. I think a lot of guys actually tie those things way too tight and they're too small mm-hmm. for the feet as well. So now the, the midfoot can't even move, right? Because we know when the when the foot hits the ground, you're running, even if you're staying on your toes, you're supposed to see a little bit of a flattening of the arch to load that posterior tib that we talked about to be able to propel you forward. As well, so if the, if the shoe is so tight, it's preventing that motion, or too rigid, or too rigid. Because now they put uh, so yes. so. When I was at picking up, uh, I went to go get shoes for the kids. I was looking at all the different sports shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the spikes, like the football spikes, they have carbon fiber now in the sole. So the the uh, the the soles are so rigid because what they figured out, at least what they're talking about for speed, 
is that if they can create more rigidity in the shoe, there can be like uh, more energy absorbed and a pushing off of effect. So like they felt that uh, too much flex in the shoe created a wet noodle effect for the foot, which is totally counterproductive. I'm like, right. why are you trying to get the rigidity out of the foot? Or I mean, out of the shoe, you want it from the foot. Mm-hmm. I would rather have a softer foot that exposed my uh, my arch to what I needed to more so than a rigid you know, carbon fiber right. insole. That, well, it's like know, we talked about last time too, where that foot needs to be stiff, not rigid. It needs to be stiff to be able to propel you forward, but not so rigid that it can't move. Well, it's not what you're talking about with the back exactly. where you need to be stable, but not... When you need to be. Yeah. And then you need to be strong, but mobile, you know, so I think it's like a balance of both. Absolutely. Well, you guys are forgetting a couple key factors here. Ooh, what's that? Lay it on us, Mr. McQuilkin. Well, in lacrosse, 90-10, it's 90% how you look and 10% how you play. And it all starts from the ground up. So your cleats have to look the part. So really? What does it mean to look the part? So, so give me a little background on this ninety ten deal. Player. So wait, wait, wait. So, so give me a little background on this ninety ten. It's ninety percent of the how you look, ten percent how you play. Right. And it starts from the ground up. So you got to have like the freshest cleats on the planet. Freshest cleats. I mean, if they're black, you're already behind. Really? Oh yeah. Nobody rocks black cleats. Everybody wears white cleats. Uh huh. Well, if you, and you got to be fast with those. So fresh, so clean. So then you got to have colors like like colored shoes or just straight up white like. Like fresh, like like yeah. fresh white shoes, fresh white, like toothbrush clean. Yeah, and then socks, socks to boot, and then do you guys wear knee highs? Uh, a matter of preference, however. Or they wear like four sets of them, but they're all staggered at different no, no, heights. No, 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 it's like calf height, and then you got you got to rep your brand, whoever, whomever that may be. So of course Nike's hot stuff, yeah. but then I mean with the the helmet. What, what about the shorts? Because I see a lot of kids in the Hill Country Indoor wearing like real short chubbies. I mean, chubbies are in. Yeah, so everybody's wearing real short shorts like. Mm-hmm. like Implied. Because like, you got to show. baby. You got to show off. Half, baby. Got to show half off your quad. Even, you got to show off your quad stump. And your sweet leg Even path. if there is a lack thereof. <laughs> okay, so everybody's wearing short shorts. And, yeah. and, and they're also real tight. Like, uh, like, like you like. Short shorts, but like nut huggers, like real tight, like real fitted in the in the crotch. Cup huggers, banana hammock. Oh my god! So if they're not, then you get to roll up the waistband. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, like uh, basketball girls like, do, like the chicks they, do. Yeah, like volleyball, like the or yeah, like the, yeah. The, I don't know about volleyball, but definitely yeah, basketball, definitely b-ball. Uh, so so they roll their shorts, so they they cut they they roll the tops to match desired height. Yes. Okay. Can't exactly uh, take your. Athletic shorts to go get hammered. Well, so so like, how far above the knee are we talking? Like a, like six inches above the knee, like mid thigh, or like depends on where you are in your growth spurt, my friend. Okay, okay. And then I mean, then the the helmet. Uh, we we went to this with Marcus Holm. Uh, he, he broke down the head. What about leg shavers? Are they all leg shavers? <laughs> no, but I wish them good luck in their quest for I, leg hair. Okay. Like, <laughs> so they no leg hair or leg hair on these kids. Or smile. I'm not paying attention to that. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, there was a uh, there was a kid we saw the other day at uh, Hill Country Indoors wearing real short shorts, sickly long leg hair, and I was like, you need to wear some lower shorts. I don't need to see all that no. thigh meat. Dude's leg on meat. the quest. I get it. Just look at me. But then, uh, yeah, then the hair you get so. Freaking bounce, what, flow, well, I, lettuce. What about the faulty. shirt? What about the shirt? Are they going midriffs? Uh, are they like uh, uh, like uh, um, cutoffs? Ex- excellent midriffs? question. So football, football got the cutoff. All for that, the sleeveless cutoff. But then the a lot of 
kids just go no shirt. So no shirt on the pads. Oh, shirtless. Uh-huh. I don't think wow. that, that's going to feel good, right? It's a lot of nipple chafing. It is. sure looks good. I hope they wear band-aids. Uh, or some basketball approach, uh, just oversized tee, but tucked into your short shorts. Huh. Yeah, so big sleeves. Because you do have elbow pads to factor in. Oh, this is true. Okay, so you have to wear elbow pads. And gloves. Yes, you have to wear elbow pads. Okay, so 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 you got guys wearing midriffs, pads over the top. Is there a jersey? Yeah, of course. Is, is the jersey like mesh or is it like uh, like you know like our practice? You remember back in the day, you used to have those mesh practice jerseys, like the with the holes, or, or are they uh-huh. wearing like actually probably nice- probably the sweetest thing we got going on is the game jerseys are football jerseys. Ooh, yeah. But nice. then I mean, it, it's for the team to decide. Fitted sleeves or are they open sleeves? Not open. Oh, like big sleeves. Oh, it's cool. This is the best thing we got going. Drip, drip. But the, uh, I mean, from the helmet, then you got the hair. You need the hair out the back. Oh, you got to have a mullet. Well, you at least got to have hair out the back. So lettuce, bounce, flow, many different terms and names. Balti, according to Marcus Holman. What's up? Lettuce in the back. Yeah. And then the big thing is uh, it's called tilt. So the... We don't have a lacrosse helmet here, but there's several different bars. Charles, pull up a lacrosse helmet on the screen. So there's several different bars to look for, like a cage. Yeah. But rather than a like, football. Like, di- like different face masks. So you can put like a different like face mask or cage on there? No. But the bar in which you choose to look through is all up to you. And this is mm. called tilt. Look, hey, just pull up Marcus Holman, like picture, and you'll see a representation so is is this guy their spirit animal? Holman? I don't think so. I'd I'd have to yeah. ask who they follow. But I, I appreciate his work. So if Yeah, uh, so that one down, that second one on the left right there. So, so that's what he's he's rocking. Yeah, you can see his him looking through the top bar there. Mm-hmm. Okay, click on is that. Is that one. a lot of tilt? Or is that Oh, so they want their helmet tilted down think, so the top is low think on their of eyes. Peaky blinders, right? Yeah. So the lower yeah. The less eyes that you can see, the yeah. the cooler you are. Yeah. So like the less you can see the ball, the cooler you are. <laughs> 90 10. It's not about how I, whether I can catch or see. It's how I look, John. Okay. So <laughs> how are they getting this? So by by basically pulling their helmet down as low as you can to cover the top of their eyes so they can't see. Yeah. And then it goes the other way. Like Charles, if you look up, it's either second or third bar syndrome. So you see some kids looking through the second bar. (laughs) (laughs) That looks a little silly. Yeah. So then it's it's still not. This is a couple things piss me off. It's still not cool to to strap your helmet up. Oh really? Oh yeah. So 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 you don't want to wear a face. So you don't want a chin strap. Well, it's like, oh, my helmet is loose. I'm cool. It's like, shut up. You take a hit, you're going to break your jaw, and then you're out for a year. So I got a question. Where did uh, where does this all stem from? Like, where are they? So I know. No idea. So when uh, when we were in high school, uh, there was like uh, uh, guys like looked at different college teams, and there was like a hallway about like stacking your socks. And like uh, um, the other thing that guys would go and purchase – special like a uh, black athletic tape and they wanted to be spatted one of their wrist on black tape instead of white tape to try to look cool. And, uh, I like, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know where it comes from is TikTok. 
so, like everything else. So Charles feels this comes from TikTok. Okay, I, so how so how up, does this come from TikTok? What's look the up, lettuce? Dude, but it, this has been part of it. So look up Mikey Powell. Has this been around since you were uh, slanging balls? Oh, yeah. So I was in high school when Mikey Powell was playing in college, and this guy was like the the representation. Big time on eye black. Oh, like his mascara ran. Like the Grim Reaper. Like his mascara ran. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he's like 5'6". So he's, so he's captain of the 5'8 and short club. Uh, the whatever. Short Kings. Short Kings. He's part of the Short he Kings. He is Short King. Uh, but yeah, dude. So you can see this guy, mullet, in 22. This dude's number. Yeah, pretty boy. So like this dude's mullet and brothers, they were all 22. So then like the thing. For for decades, uh, and Gary Gate, so a legend there. He was number twenty two. So like whoever at Syracuse is number twenty two, that's like you're anointed as the king of lacrosse. Okay. So like, it was the thing on all teams across the nation to be number twenty two. That was everybody's stud. Okay, so twenty two was like the fucking hitman, the killer, yeah. the assassin. Yeah, like my freshman year roommate. So, so wait a minute. That's only second, way he came is if he got twenty two. So that that second pick where the guy's got the like the the basically open sleeves, like the real drapey football jersey, and the second one, Mike Powell, right there. Can you see? So, yeah, click click on that one, Charles. So he's got the open sleeves and the football jersey, and he's looking through the top bar. Yeah, that's so that picture's taken in the year two thousand. But that's still fucking cool. Oh yeah, like the football jersey. But it, it went away. Now it's back. So, like, look up Ohio State lacrosse. So, they're, like, big-time football school and identity, and they take that on to the team. Uh-huh. And so, they got football jerseys. It's pretty cool. But then there's certain jerseys I hate. So, you can see that's that's the style we went. Okay. Uh, but those guys, are, one. But 14, those guys are actually up, wearing normal yeah, shorts. It. They're wearing knee highs. They're wearing top of the knees. Football so that, shorts. That's our style of jersey this year. I love it. The uh, What I hate, if you look up Syracuse, here's – they wear like Under Armour short T-shirt, performance T-shirt. Are they collared shirts? Do they wear performance polos? That would be dope. Uh, that used to be women's lacrosse uniforms. Yeah, the girls used to wear collared shirts. The polos, yeah. And skirts. So you can see these guys. It's like an Under Armour tee and then like this sleeveless basketball jersey on oh. top. Not a fan, personally. Oh, so what's up with the eye black? That's just a thing, dude. Man, dude, when I used to see dudes with eye black on, I used to be like, hey, yo, man, the mascara's running. You need to go take care of that shit. Uh, I'll mention that. Yeah, just be like, hey, man, uh, dude, if you can't get your mascara to stop running, you shouldn't wear mascara. Emo, bro. Yeah. Be like, I loved uh, the cure. <laughs> I was listening to a lot of cure, cure when the I wrote time. that song. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, dude, this is hilarious, man. I uh, I mean, there's a whole aura and culture with it. Uh, it's, uh, it. It is. I mean, how the kids find this? No idea. It's TikTok. Like that's how Charles, his whole ensemble today is fucking TikTok. No. What What are you emulating today, Charles? Uh, I just got this fresh bomber. Uh, for our listeners, Charles is dressed in all black. He's, He's still dressed, mourning the no, Bills lost. So dress, uh, Charles looks like he beat up like an like a literally like a seventy five year old Italian man in South Philly and nah, stole his fucking you, jumper. You would probably rock this. I, it kind of fits. Who me? Oh yeah, I would. I dude, uh, I love jumpsuits. It, does it have a belt? <laughs> I mean, dude, does it have a belt like fucking Jack Lalanne? Did Did you just zip that all the way up? Yeah. You're so sharp. <laughs> Did you see me? I was like, hold on, let me get this all the way up there. I mean, dude, uh, the fact that he's uh, he looks like he beat up like a 75-year-old Italian man in fucking South Philly and stole his jumpsuit. Yeah, but notice the, the white 
White socks, white shoes. Uh, yeah, Billy White Shoes Johnson over here. Yeah, your pants go de- don't go down to your ankles. <laughs> yeah, but that's but that's the style on it's TikTok. Ensemble. Dude, that's how Jake exposed the socks. Oh yeah, there there you go. Here. Harry Heppensaw would totally sign off on this. Oh, here's here's the other thing, like <laughs> lacrosse sweatpants, dude, rolled up to the cover in the calves. So I can attribute, like we had to wear sweatpants throughout until our first game. Like that was the rule. So all of us, you know, it's certainly in D.C. gets too hot for freaking sweatpants. Why did why, why, you have to wear sweatpants? It's just part of the deal. Uh, the, you know, why did our grandparents kick, cook half a chicken or whatever? You know, the, the Aaron Ausmus deal. Just because that's what the team did before. Okay. Whatever. So then like your calves would get freaking ripped. Little did we know we're doing freaking like BFR occlusion training. Freaking uh, just pull up sweatpants and hugging on your calves. You've got to stay at least somewhat cool. Nice. But um, maybe that's what we're missing. So Shin splints. Uh, got to roll sweats up. So BFR uh, tib ends. What you guys are talking about, uh, like what you f- referred to with this hairstyle, is really hockey hair. So Whoa. Well, first off, lacrosse predates hockey. There's no way. It was invented by the Native Americans. You think the these, Native these Americans heads, right? were rocking hockey hair? Well, yeah. Flow. They didn't. Yeah, cut a lot their of hair. flow. Well, I, I know they, they probably look like you. Yeah. Like, but I'm, I'm saying just saying. Sport. I'm just saying hockey hair, which is usually everything. Real, you know, that's where the mullet really came from. Was the hockey hair? Like, because if you go back and you watch uh, Charles, okay, what was the history of the mullet? Uh, what was the movie? Um, God. Uh, the hockey movie with the brothers where they're like, oh, putting foil on my um, – Slapshot. Yeah, Slapshot. You coach, go back, Coach. Yeah, coach. I'm uh, putting foil on my knuckles. <laughs> uh, dude, if you look at Slapshot, those guys, the brothers, have like the best mullets ever. And I really think that's where the mullet came from was from that movie. I think Kurt Russell predates Slapshot. Look at the brothers. God, what are their names? I cannot remember the brothers' names. Hansons. Yeah. <laughs> Those dudes are the best. The national anthem is probably my favorite scene. Dude, I like that he's just, they're all bloody with blue glasses on. Those guys, those guys would play on 1977. Wow. I think like it's hockey hair. So what you're saying is that lacrosse hair is a thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, Holman even said it. Just like that's how boys in Baltimore are. It's just like this is normal. Like the hair you're rocking right now with the, yeah. with, with the quaff. And the and 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 the the waves the slow breaking waves. Yeah, this is bounce like born to play. Oh, born to play. I like it. What about like uh, is uh, is facial hair a thing? Like uh, mustaches, weird uh, mustaches. I don't know the rules of the high school. Like that that's high school dependent because we played one high school and I'm like, you get shave, dude. You get away with that at school. Me personally, Katie Taylor, we had to shave, clean shave because that was their. Uh, security, because if they see somebody walking around with facial hair, everyone knows you're not, you're not you're not supposed to be here. Uh, dude, we had guys. I had a few dudes on my high school football team. I had one dude that had a full beard in eighth grade. I'm sure those kids existed, but they had to they, they had to shave keep tight. I'm okay. still working on trying to grow that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, yeah, dude, I, my beard's not very good either. I mean, look look at Charles over there. He grew that in a weekend. So, <laughs> <laughs> Grizzly, Grizzly Adams did have a beard. <laughs> Jesus, he like I, not only go beat up a seventy-five-year-old Italian man in South Philly on uh, it's just took, took his jumpsuit, he also got his beard. Yeah, they're looking for a clean-shaven man. So <laughs> Charles is good. It's like like what like one of those like old Italian man hats. 
Like a fedora? Like a fedora? Can we get you a fedora? Oh, Charles. Dude. Hey, Charles, answer me this. How many fedoras do you own? Yeah, what's what's your fedora count? I have none. Yeah, bullshit. Uh, don't believe you. <laughs> Italian Manhattan. <laughs> uh, I think they call those berets. Of course you do. No, put up a uh, put up Peaky Blinders. Tilt. Dude, so I, these, dude I've been rocking. Tilt. Dude, I've had a newsboy hat uh, like since fucking my freshman year of college. Uh, legitimately, I have had one of those. And and dude, and the hilarious part. So so those are called newsboys. Uh, I told you the story that um, I had one in. Uh, I, I used to wear one, like uh, had one in college. And uh, my dad, I, I went to a game and my dog ripped it apart. And my dad felt bad about it. So every year for Christmas, he would buy me a, a new one of these. And I do. I have dozens of these things. So the only problem I haven't broke it out yet. People are like, oh, you've been watching Peaky Blinders. I'm like, yes, and I have these hats. It's like they're going to attend a Jordan Peterson show. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude. So we we went well, we so, got 20 minutes. We, we can yeah, get into. We it. went and saw Jordan Peterson. So Jordan Peterson came. Uh, he's he's doing on tour. His first stop was here in Austin. Uh, text hit me up. I like that moment went on. Brought tickets. It was funny. I got kicked out of the system three times. Every time I got kicked back, we just get getting pushed back. So finally, I get tickets. One one comment. We couldn't ask actually for a better seating placement because it was you, me, and Doctor Kirk Parsley all sitting ducks in a row, and we're all jammed in there like airplane seats. So what do we do? Is the very last row he's on the up. bottom. We just broke separate them, broke apart the chairs and got our own space. <laughs> so yeah, we go and uh, as I show up, like all these dudes are like in suits. And when I tell you like a suit, like not the type of suit I just came from work, like the suit that I went home, took off my work clothes, took a shower, and put on this suit because I had this special suit to go out with. And uh, uh, like it was really weird. Like I mean, yeah, three piece suit. Uh, like there was some yeah. really like people went all out. Like hey, this is I'm gonna get a special suit for when Jordan Peterson comes. So I'm going to wear the suit. So he notices me type of deal. And JP maybe suit. I can. And, uh, I, I saw that people waited and got pictures with him. So I saw a couple people like he, he must have posed for pictures. I didn't see that part uh, in the deal, but people were posing in their suits with Jordan Peterson to the point where he even brought it up and was like, you know, I saw these guys, you know, dressed really well in suits. And his, his daughter, Michaela uh, Peterson, actually was like, Oh, I, I didn't know that wearing suits was my dad's deal now. So I thought that that was, uh, Interesting, but these guys, man, they were everybody was dressed to the nines, and I didn't feel like we got the memo. What were you wearing? Uh, jeans and t shirts. Uh, Seems accurate. Yeah, I left and, practice, and, so sweats. <laughs> yes. But what was really cool was it's been cold here, so I can actually break out some of my cool jackets. So I did bust out my pea coat, which I was very happy about because my wife's like, Are you going to throw that away? I'm like, No, no, no. There might be once a year I get to wear this pea coat. I did just get myself a sweet leather jacket mm. this year, too. Nice. Bomber style. Oh, yeah. Sweet. I do. I'm a huge fan of leather I'm jackets and, of and anything wool that looks like a peacoat. <laughs> well, back to Peterson. You took some good notes. We've discussed this oh, yeah. a little. So, uh, yeah, I did. I Well, one, um, I think it was a cultural event for a lot of reasons. Like, hey, we got a chance to see Jordan Peterson speak. I didn't get a chance to see him the first time around, and I, I always regretted that. So I, I didn't want to miss out on this one. Uh, it was extremely... I think that the magnitude of the event was uh, was probably overwhelming and a lot of buildup. Um, I also think that he's uh, his fitness in terms of his ability to get up and present there might have been on the low side because I know he's still sick and you know he went through that. If you read his book, you know he was uh, addicted to benzos and they put him in a coma. I mean, it's really pretty interesting in his book. Mm -hmm. But like it, 
didn't look like, I mean, he got up there and he spoke for an hour. I was kind of hoping that he would go long form, but he had done a four hour podcast with Joe Rogan. So who knows how that thing all went down, but, uh, which I haven't listened to yet, but, um, his fitness, I think was a little bit low, which, yeah, but he's going to cover 40, 50 dates of this year. Yeah. Goal. The aim that he said was 120,000 people yeah. to connect with in person. Yeah, that's impressive. So that was, uh, I think it was cool. We went to the the first one yeah. out of the Austin trip in the whole. So he, uh, he, I think he's such an amazing thinker. Um, I think in the, in for our for this generation, he's one of these unique unique thinkers. Not to you know put him in a Marcus Aurelius or a Seneca or you know or uh, you know any of the you know great thinkers. And he brought up Dostoevsky and some of this um, you know these different like existentialists. But uh, I think in terms of going down, when we're going to look at cultural impact, I think you got Joe Rogan in his long form. Uh, and I think you got a guy like Jordan Peterson. And what's amazing to me is uh, if you read his books, it's like, you know, like um, the metaphor for, you know, clean your room, which I, the one thing I was a little pissed about was, gonna, was people yeah. in the audience felt the need to like scream things out to be to, to like hmm. – uh, to somehow like interject themselves into it. And one of the guys scream like clean your room, which in, in his deal, like his book is like, it's the metaphor of don't go out and tell somebody else how to clean the room. If your fucking house isn't in order, which, you know, I mean, straight from the Bible in so many ways of like, you know, don't cast, you know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, which is, is what he's saying. It's like, wake up every morning, clean your room, make your bed, stand up straight, be presentable, you know, do these things before you go out and you try to order other people to live their lives. And so was he, is he, he's using it both physically or uh, literally and metaphorically, like clean your fucking room. Don't be a slob. Like get up and make your bed every day. Like as your parents, like my mom would yell, make your bed every day. If I get up and I don't make my bed and if I walk in the middle of the day and my bed's not made, I make my bed. Like when there's, but there's people that don't ever make their fucking bed, make your bed. And then they preach it too. I mean, I think that whole entire metaphor is just to live your life in integrity. Yeah. Like if you're going to tell somebody something, you better be doing it yourself as well. Yeah. Which uh, I think in our country at this present time, there's never been a time where we've been so disingenuous with this shit. I mean, we see it all the time, like within politics where, you know, they're standing, you know, beating the war drum on something that just Mm -hmm. a a month ago, they, you know, like my favorite is the filibuster. You know, every one of these people have have fought it, you know, to and for the filibuster based on where they are within their political leanings and the political climate. Uh, I I wrote down a couple of his statements. He said, you share ignorance with everyone around you. I thought that was a a great comment. The idea that, like, you know, everybody's ignorant. And uh, Joe Rogan, he even brought up, you know, was extremely complimentary of Joe. But even Joe himself is like, I don't know if the people I'm bringing on are being are, are right or wrong. I don't know if they're being truthful or not. I'm just going and having an open-ended discussion with people that I believe to be experts that I'm trying to educate myself. Free of judgment, too, which is what I respect about Joe's yeah. podcast as well. Uh, I, Dude, I think uh, uh, I think the fact that people are railing so hard against Joe Rogan just goes to prove the impact he's having in terms of opening people's eyes. That now the establishment has realized that exactly how influential this in, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, individual is who does not fall within their paradigm of fucking pressure. Like, and and they're going to try to enact it. Like at the end of the day, he's such a wild card of these individuals and commands such respect that I don't think that they can have somebody that's outside the establishment with that much power. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's because he brings a lot of light to the inconsistencies and the incongruencies that are going on that just make the narrative crumble. Yeah. Right. He gets, he gets people to think. Well, he's also a thinker, but he's also 
you know, not only is he uh, an extremely uh, fucking well-seasoned, excellent comic, which if you think, if you put like, I'll just give you an example. If you were to take a politician and a comic and put them on stage and have people call out and heckle them and how to work a crowd, dude, a comic any day of the week is 100% better than a politician. Uh, you know, like, uh, you can't rattle those dudes. You can't, you, you can throw hecklers. You can throw anybody you want into Joe Rogan. He can stand up there with drunks and two in the morning on the sunset and can handle a fucking crowd and dis and fucking not only eviscerate them both, uh, um, you know, mentally and, and, you know, with his words, but also they want to come up and throw blows that dude to fucking hit you with a spinning back kick and knock you in the middle of the next week. So it's not only, I mean, I, have you guys ever seen any like uh, gone and seen stand up comedy? Mm-hmm. I, I I love to go see stand up comics. My favorite part is when the drunk asshole tries to heckle them, and the fucking comics just open the bag of tricks and tear those dudes up, and then they get all butt hurt and want to fight them. I'm like, this is the best. Why the fuck would you that? That's like showing up to an NFL football game and like jumping on the field and be like, I want to pass rush this 300 pound offensive lineman, and the dude breaks your neck, and you're like, what an asshole. You're like, this is what this guy does. He's a paid thug who gets you beat brought it up. on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you have a guy like Rogan who's not only skilled in terms of stand-up comedy and, and orator and, like, he's intelligent. He's got a fucking little twist of thinking from, you know, whatever he's done with uh, extracurriculars or with drugs. So he's got an interesting perspective. Uh, and on top of it, the dude's a badass martial artist and has the ability, like, his Rolodex and the people he's had on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like, like we talk on this podcast, like – uh, as much as we want to put information out, we have really interesting people that I've been educated from, people where I've been inspired. And a lot of times, like where we originally started it, I think I've benefited the most out of this podcast just because the people that we've allowed to create our genealogy and have on, like every time we bring somebody on, I'm like, shit, dude, this is an opportunity to educate myself. Like we bring on Marcus Holman. I didn't even know about flow and bounce for fucking lacrosse players. <laughs> oh, I mean. I feel like Keith Barr is a much better representation uh, of that. Keith Barr, I mean, dude, uh, uh, Boyd Epley, which was cool. Yeah, yeah, was was cool as shit. Uh, I remember I was an eighteen year old kid sitting in his office in Nebraska and got a chance to have you know met him twenty five, twenty seven years ago. So um, okay, another one. He said uh, uh, he said that the if you're going to try try to solve a problem, you have to formulate it into a question, and and the biggest issue we're running into this. In, in this country right now is the power structure fears this. They fear the formulation of questions because I mean, that's what really Joe Rogan's doing, right? Like there's a problem. Let me bring people on and like, let's get to the root of this thing through long form discussion. And this is a big bit of fear. Um, he also made a really good point with honesty on the edge is fear. So he said when uh, honesty on the edge is fear that, uh, I mean, that was just, so I'm just writing around random things. He said, um, if you surround yourself with boring people, you're a boring person. So constantly fight to be in circles with interesting people that the greatest barometer for yourself and whether or not you're interesting is if interesting people want to be around you. And he used that in Joe Rogan. He goes, Joe Rogan's mm-hmm. a highly intelligent, very interesting people. Interesting people want to be in his company. If you look around and think everybody around you is boring and these people aren't interesting, it's because you're not interesting and you don't have anything to say. Which we have control over too. You can control, oh, you, you, you can control your narrative. You can control yeah. your circle. I mean, uh, um, you know, so um, problems are meant to be grappled. They are the call to they, they are a call to destiny uh, calling you um, to ignore problems is to lose the battle of your life. So that was kind of an interesting piece. Uh, he said that we're in a situation where the present day or at least the way that things are looking, it's as if 
um, people are trying to bend or bend the structures of reality to avoid their thoughts. So instead of like dealing and like having critical thoughts, people want to just bend the structures of reality to basically acquiesce to what they want. Well, think about the fear associated with actually sitting with your own thoughts. That's well, scary shit. So, so like, he, he he was using it in 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 the sense of like, uh, um, like for example, uh, like the uh, I think on the podcast he was talking about like the Bible is the structure for everything. And my dad said this years ago. My dad said, you know, uh, the laws in this country are based off a of Christian Anglo sex or Anglo Protestant, not Anglo Saxon, Anglo Protestant values. So you have these like set of structures that really come from the Bible. And, you know, turn the other cheek and this, and we set up to these laws. The problem is, is that everybody has to agree that this is the basis of what we're doing. And if that's not an agreed upon and you don't subscribe to this, then how do these laws approach? Like, like, for example, if I go out and I rob somebody or do something bad, the fear of going to jail has to be greater than actually executing this. Now, the problem is if jail is a better uh, place than where you presently are, like, fuck it. If I rob this guy and get away, I'll have a better life. If I go to jail, it's probably better than I have. Then no longer jail becomes a deterrent. And so he goes, you know, as a, a white middle class kid, like not that like you want to go out and do bad stuff, but like there's a way to be like, ah, you know what? Uh, I, I might have a couple drinks. Uh, maybe I won't drink and drive because what if I get caught for drunk driving? I'm going to lose my license. I can't go to my job and I might go to jail. What if you don't give a fuck because you don't give a fuck if you go to jail? I'll get fucked up. What if I care I don't kill anybody because I don't have a conscience for it? So uh, my, and my dad always said that's the most difficult thing when you're dealing with criminals and as a defense attorney where people don't subscribe to your same uh, core values or your belief system. And you're over here being like, well, you murdered that guy. Well, yeah, fuck it. Who cares? Right. Like, I mean, it's uh, so I mean, we're, we're based off of this like, you know, Anglo-Saxon or Anglo-Protestant values. But what if you subscribe to. Uh, Alistair Crowley's, you know, law of the beast, do as thou will. Well, fuck it. He has what I want. I'm going to kill him and I'll take what he wants because at the end of the day, fuck it. This whole thing is uh, bullshit anyway. So it's, um, that was an interesting piece, but he, what he was talking about bending the structure of reality is like, for example, you're born a man and you decide to become a woman, right? And now, or all of a sudden you don't become a woman. You just want to identify as a woman. And now you're forcing me, which is goes back to like Ben Shapiro's deal. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to like, change thousands of years of evolution just because you decide that you don't want that to be the reality now. So you can't bend reality. Cause then you're just worrying about potentially offending everybody. Well, well. uh, there's a, an, an interesting thing that I actually, uh, I was thinking on this yesterday. If you're easily offended, you're easily manipulated. Yeah. So that's a big thing I've been thinking yeah. about in society is that the way that they manipulate us is by trying to offend us. Because here's what they do, they uh, and they, when I say, you know, whoever it is, but it's a really easy way to, like, manipulate people is to try to offend them. Because what you do is you say something and it pushes people to one side or the other. And really, like, that's how they're manipulating a guy like Joe Rogan right now. They didn't know how to manipulate him. So now what they're trying to do, and at the end of the day, he's probably, like, laughing to himself. Mm -hmm. He's like, all this is doing is probably driving up. I'm getting 11 million downloads an episode. This is probably going to drive it to 20 because people are going to be outraged. And now I've agreed to say, you know what, I'm going to bring on people that, uh, you know, I, I have this Robert Malone on. I'm going to bring the person on the other side. So now I'm going to open this thing up to more discourse, to more, you know, contrarian views. All that's going to do is he's going to double his fucking viewer. This is probably like um, Ben Shapiro I, I saw on Facebook was like, oh, you know, why is he acquiescing? He doesn't owe these people anything. No, he's fucking intelligent, he, you know, and whether he's doing it or he has somebody smart around him, it's like, 
But he's also being, we said, used this word already. He's holding himself in integrity, right? Because he is perpetuating discourse, yeah. which is how we arrive at better solutions to problems. Now, here, here's another thing. Uh, I think what's really unique about him is, uh, I mean, like uh, they, they always say, uh, you know, s- somebody owns everybody. Like, you know, everybody answers to somebody. I bet you he doesn't. It's like, fuck them. You don't want to listen to my shit? I'll fucking do it. Believe me, I already made enough money. I could stop today and fucking go on and go open a Brazilian jiu-jitsu or a you know, UFC comment. I mean, basically living the life that he wants to live. He's chosen to put himself in there because it's culturally relevant. It's important. And he probably views himself, you know, and uh, to even. Um, part of his purpose <laughs> and part of his mission in life is, is, is how it seems. So uh, after Jordan Peterson spoke, his daughter, uh, you know, asked people to send up questions. And so they had some portal for it. And the question that I had, I knew they weren't going to answer. So it was all, she kind of gave him softball stuff. Like, how do you know it's the right woman when you meet her? Which isn't the questions I wanted. Mm-hmm. I wanted like a straight up like crime and punishment, Dofieski. He wrote about the Superman uh, phenomenon where uh, in there Raskolnikov believed that the rules of society did not apply to him because he was of super character. He was considered a Superman. It's like one of the chief like fundamental uh, like you know, themes of that of crime and punishment of CSC's book and that existentialist and being an existentialist, uh, you know, fan within I was in college, that was a huge thing. It's something I always thought about. And you have a situation in society. And my comment or what I would have asked him is, does the internet and really the rise of information and like people that now can have instant celebrity based upon viral TikTok, has that changed? And do you think if Dostoevsky got a chance to write Crime and Punishment, it would be written differently today? But I really think a guy like Joe Rogan, <laughs> whether or not he believes himself to be an extraordinary man or nothing, has put himself in a position where he can be this culturally le- uh, relevant and fucking alter the trajectory of a lot of things. I think that's fucking, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And I hope he fucking wields it to break this whole motherfucker down. I hope he uses it to fucking shatter the house because unfortunately there's a lot of bullshit. And, and I think there's a lot of people that are being cold and being fucking manipulated with fear. They're easily offended. So they're easily manipulated. And I think just the fact that he's had people on that have a different point of view than the standard fucking narrative scares people to death. Because what if they really found out that this thing was full of shit? What if they really found out that they were manipulated? Because here's a bigger issue. He even said it in that talk uh, when in his Instagram deal. He's like, six months ago, you had been kicked off social media if you said that a cloth mask didn't stop the transmission of uh, COVID. Now it's on the cover of Time magazine. Six months ago, if you said it came out of a lab, they'd fucking ban you. Now that we know that to be true. So what's going to happen in another six months? And, um, you know, I, I just think that we're not being told the whole deal. And I think fucking Joe Rogan's going to have a burning sword to cut through it. I fucking support him for it. Um, the one thing that was unique or the, the quote that, or the piece of information that I wrote down that was most, uh, prevalent to me in hearing him speak was, uh, men need heroes and icons to follow. So I think a lot of times, um, that was like, like seeing the excitement, there was a father and son that were sitting two rows ahead of us, like the giddiness and the excitement of these two individuals to be there. And like the way that, that we, I was just watching these dudes and they were like randomly screaming things like. I was like, this is probably their fucking Super Bowl. Like, it just it's a, it's interesting to me that uh, we've come to a time where people need icons and uh, and heroes to follow in a in a time when they maybe feel that those those are absent. I mean, you know, you think about uh, something to emulate, and Jordan Peterson is an extremely interesting thinker. Mm-hmm. The way his mind works is really fascinating, and the way he puts things together. I mean, he's really really uh, very intelligent individual. 
Um, and I think people are drawn to that. I think people are drawn to unique individuals and especially unique thinkers. I mean, it's why if you go back to ancient Greece with, you know, the cynics and Seneca and you have, you know, um, you know, Plato and Aristotle and these individuals, like they would stand in the middle and speak, you know, whether it be within, you know, an amphitheater or this or, you know, the steps here or there. And people would sit around and listen to them because people have always been entranced by intelligent thinkers. Yeah, it's, it's how they resonate, right? <laughs> yeah. It's because it challenges you to think yourself as well. And that's where if we look at exploration, we talk about exploration with movement all the time. When you ask questions, you're exploring other avenues to a problem. And I think that's where in, you know, in today's time, today's society, we see people who don't want to critically think. They don't want to have to use their brain power to solve a problem. They just want to be told what to do. Well, because it's uh, because it's at the easy. end of the day, it will if you're wrong, it's somebody else's it's fault, and you can place blame, and now you become the victim again. Yeah, and and we we live in a victim mentality where, uh, like you know, for example, like uh, you know, and we you know uh, we have a ton of people following our training programs at powerathleteHQ.com slash training if you want to check them out. Uh, but on those programs. Um, the reason that we have thousands of people logging on to those programs is because they have faith in us and me as an individual who's done this before and like the amount of progress that people make. And I think that there's, you know, it's nice to like, you know, Hey, like I, I get bored of programming for myself. So I follow other people's training and I, you know, I'm constantly testing stuff. But at the end of the day, like I don't make any illusions that at the end of the day, I'm the final end product and I, and I make the decision. But like, I think it's, it's nice to kind of like, free yourself to do other things and hand yourself, hand the reins over to experts. The problem is a lot of times people are willing to hand their, their, uh, hand things over to people that aren't experts. Oh, I handed my money over to this financial advisor. Is he qualified? I don't know. He's a financial advisor. He seems like he's pretty good. Well, what clients does he have? Who has he worked with? Is he successful? What's the mark? You know, like what strategy is he following? You know, oh, I don't know. He's just a financial advisor. I went with him. I don't know. You got to have more than that. Uh, so I think like a lot of times, for people, there's um, you basically are able to separate yourself, separate, separate yourself from guilt and failure by just handing the reins over and being like, "Well, you know, I'm just doing what the government told me." At the end of the day, when did people come become so trusting of the government? I mean, like shit, like uh, you know, I mean, we have all these conspiracy theories from UFOs to you know Area 51 to the Kennedy assassination. I mean, anything that Oliver Stone's ever done just goes to point to show some nefarious, uh, you know, government. I mean, every plot of every Jason Bourne movie is the same. I mean, dude, you, you want to look at the largest theft of the American people. Look at like the Federal Reserve Act. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Jason Bourne franchise. But right. Uh, okay. But I mean, like, like look at the Federal Reserve Act. A kid. Right. You, the Federal Reserve the is, no, is not federal and it's not a reserve. It's a private entity. And they're the ones that control everything. I mean, it's crazy to me. Um, all right. He also said uh, Rogan is on the or, – or he said he goes, the reason that Joe Rogan is so successful – is he's on the edge of ignorance at all times, right? He said that he shows up uh, curious and ha- and has the ability to have his opinion changed on a moment's notice. So he goes in to have, have these conversations without preconceived notions. He's not driving it in a certain way where he wants the outcome in a certain way. Like it's not canned. He's going in there, hey, this guy's going to talk about this. And then Joe, who's an intelligent individual, I don't know what research he does, but he goes in as almost to be educated by these people, which is kind of the um, um, uh, guy who's who, who's uh, uh, Larry King, mm-hmm. where Larry King would go and interview people and he wouldn't do any research so that he could be educated on it. 
which, you know, there's certain people like a lot of times when you get interviewed by a, a reporter or stuff, they've done a ton of research and they start canning questions because they're trying to get you to say something specific. Larry King, I mean, Joe Rogan, I think they're just looking for open narratives. Yeah, I think like there's a lot of value in being flexible and being malleable. But that's why, you know, guys like us and I think Joe as well, you go into every conversation and including me with going to this um, sheepdog response course. It's you, you use the line all the time about being in a white belt mentality. Yeah, that's also going in there as the person who knows nothing. Yeah. Right. I well, mean, that, uh, it opens you up. Well, it it, it opens you up. But it makes like, you receptive as well. Well, and, and, and it's also... Um, I think uh, I think people that are are well skilled and the people that that probably teach that class have gone in and fucking dealt with so many people that come in with their own preconceived notions and this isn't the way I do it and you go in just like an empty cup like you know we've said for years like you know how can I pour water in your cup how can I fill your cup if it's already full empty your cup and then allow me to fill yours and that you know age old uh, Bruce Lee analogy um, you know em- em- empty your cup and um, I think when you go in and you show yourself to be humble and it's like, man, I want to get my ass kicked. I want to learn as much as possible. I paid the, I paid the money. I want to go on the fucking ride. You're the fucking ringmaster. Take me on the fucking ride and kick my ass and let's have some fun. And like, and you know, that was, um, you know, Craig, uh, you know, made, you know, paid me a good compliment when I went to his deal. He's like, man, you showed up as advertised. And uh, even when I told him, he was like, you know, when I saw him the other day, he was like, man, uh, I posted. Yeah, Jordan Peterson. Yeah, Jordan Peterson, because we saw Craig, uh, Craig Douglas, fucking great guy. If you have a chance to take his class, it's incredible. Um, he was like, yeah, man, people saw you were there. And he's like, one dude was like, did he show up at the shield? And he's like, why? He's like, that guy's like Captain America. And I was like, thanks. That's a fucking good compliment. I like Captain America. He's like, no, man, like people were like stoked. Like one, they were like fucking amazed that you would show up to him. Like, why, why, why wouldn't I? You asked me to come. And I'm going to show up and give you 100. percent And dude, I don't know what you know, so so fucking fill my cup. And I think that analogy or that uh, that piece has been it's been helpful to, to not only I, I think let me sorry to say this without saying it weird. I think that is an extremely endearing thing when somebody shows up and they're humble and they want to learn. And as somebody who wants to teach or somebody that has information give, when somebody takes that approach. You will fucking be like, man, uh, you know, and like, you know, we have Tim Kennedy on the podcast. He'd be like, fucking Gusanis is great. That guy showed up. I mean, I hope he says this. Um, shows up. He was uh, a little bitch. Yeah. I mean, but like, <laughs> like if you show up, if well, one, you paid the paid the money. You showed up. You humbled yourself. Mm-hmm. And he said, fucking show me what you got. Give me your best and I'll fucking take it. Mm-hmm. Um, he said uh, uh, two more. He said, uh, uh, shake your fist at your sky and curse God, which I thought was interesting. Just randomly said it, and I like the way he said it. But he said, "Be honest, be brave, and be playful." Um, and it struck me for the first time what Jordan Peterson like uh, the way like because I, I had this kind of uh, picture of him in my mind a little bit. But he kind of reminds me of like a wise, eloquent uncle who you look forward to seeing every Christmas. Mm. Like he's well dressed, he has something interesting to say. And like I was thinking as a kid, like showing up at like uh, you know Christmas or like meeting our family or you know uncles or whatever, and like having these guys be you know larger than life, entertaining. But he just seems like a wise dude that you like, well dressed, sits down and has something amazing to say, and you excited to see him at every family reunion or every family event. Yeah, it's like an energy you want to be around. Yeah, because it fills you up. Yeah, he, uh, uh, yeah, he's an interesting dude. I, um, uh, I was really interested to see the dynamic with his daughter. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, like she was, you know, obviously he, he's got her kind of coming out and opening up, uh, you know, I know she has a podcast and I, I, I don't know her, but like, it's, um, I, I feel like it's a, it's a large billing for her to have to come up mm-hmm. and like, 
you know, be the opening act for her father. Uh, so like, I'm good on her for, for going out there and being her father's daughter and taking that upon herself. Uh, she felt a little, I mean, but maybe it was her first one. She just felt a little nervous in that she doesn't do it. But, uh, um, I, you know, I wish her a lot of success with that. Well, I mean, there was a lot of people there. Yeah. A lot of, and, and people were excited. Man. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, people were excited to be in his presence. And I always think, man, that's like a really interesting thing where people are just excited to be there and say they were there. I mean, we saw Lindsay Matthews and her husband. Uh, you know, we saw Craig Douglas. I mean, there was a bunch of people that we didn't see that I ended up seeing po- posting pictures on social media who were there. So it was like a very cool cultural, culturally relevant event to be at. And um, man, I was stoked to see him get up there and speak because I was nervous that after he what he went through, he would never get up and do this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wished my only critique was I wish it was more uh, structured. Like he he talked about uh, his new book, which is Wrestling with God. Yeah, Wrestling with Something God. Something like that. Yeah, I, and I, I wish he would have got into a little bit of that because he's like, oh, I'm working on this new book called Wrestling with God. When you throw that name out there. It's a powerful title. It's a powerful title. Yeah. Like, tell me about the book. Get into it. Like that. Like if he had been like got up and talked about his new book, Wrestling with God, and the pieces that he's working through in this, and that had been the structure which he spoke from. I think that would have been incredible. It was, uh, but it, it felt very just like, let's just have this conversation. It was great. I mean, uh, but me personally, I would have liked to have felt a little more structure and, uh, I would have, uh, man, I wish I could have brought my dad. Mm. Um, it would have been nice to go and, uh, and then hear that. And I, you know, and, and not like I, I sent him some of Jordan Peterson stuff before he passed away. I don't know how much he read, but, and I, and I was trying to get him into listening to podcasts but I would have liked to have heard uh, his uh, like his in, in interpretation of the information, whether or not he just thought he was full of shit or a blowhard or whatnot. But uh, uh, I, I really enjoyed it and I thought it was great. So what do you think, Mr. McCorkin? Well, we got a time is a few more minutes. Uh, enjoy extremely enjoyable experience. I mean, good company as always docs, a, a uh, excellent conversation, our long ride home. The only critique I have, those I'll call them hecklers, because he was, as you mentioned, not conditioned. Yeah. Because he was on awesome trains of thoughts, and then there was these moments where people would shout out. I thought that was very selfish of yeah. them. And then he acknowledges them, and then lost for a moment. Like, His train of thought. So that was that was the negative piece, dudes. So like, it, it, if you do go in the future, do you guys, think, shut the fuck up. Do you think that that may? Uh, do you think that's why it felt cut up because he wasn't ready for the hecklers? Potentially, I mean, I, I wouldn't be either. Like, what? Yeah, it breaks the train. Well, well, what? Uh, what you remember from the old cross of football days? So when I, when I first started, as I was talking, people would shoot their hands up, and I would tell everybody, "Hey, wait to the very end to ask your questions," because I didn't have the confidence in the material. Then I got to the point where I was confident in the material. When somebody raised their hand, I would stop, fucking curb stomp them, and then continue on with without like you know without missing a beat because I knew the material. So what I don't think he was ready for, and you made a good point, was I don't think he was people like so. The social media or whatever it is, like everybody wants to somehow like be on stage with him. Everybody wants to interject and be into the into what he was doing. And I felt like the people screaming were there. Uh, desire to interject themselves into into what he was doing, and it did. I mean, I, I think it it fucking rattled him a little bit. Yeah, like it, he didn't feel offended, but it was like his train of thought. Like he's up there trying to have this beautiful moment, and a dude screams, "Clean your room!" And he was like, 
But yeah, he positively acknowledged him. And then it was a few other times where like a comedian who's done their set, stop for one moment. Okay, I'm going to curb stomp you. Yeah. And then continue continue the joke. Have you ever uh, watched anything by Jimmy Jimmy Carr? He's an English comic. Oh, yeah. He's he's hosts a lot. He's a good guy. He's funny. He fucking, dude. Have you ever heard him? I don't deal, want to get off here. Have you, ever heard him deal, have you ever heard him deal with hecklers? No, but dude, now I will. Go check out some of Jimmy Jimmy Carr's stuff, dude. He can like, I mean, just eviscerate, just does so well. But like as a comic, like that's the first thing that those guys learn because they go on stage and they suck. And it's the age old, like, you know, Dave Grohl, you got to go in the band, suck, and then you become Nirvana. Those guys go on stage, they do open mics, they do the 2 a.m. with the drunks on Sunset, and like they fucking hone their craft to the point where some dickhead gets into it. These, that's what these guys fucking live for. That's their battle cry. And you have a guy like Rogan, who is a fucking seasoned comic. I mean, a fucking fear factor. I mean, all these things. That's, I mean, that's what that guy does. And you're going to put this dude in this situation. This guy's been training for it for his whole life. And on top of it, he can throw fucking hands and whoop just about anybody's ass if he wants. So you have a dude that's not only skilled, like with, you know, with his words and that, also has the ability to use his hands and has the fucking largest, most powerful platform. I mean, dude, the fact that his information is more influential than any news broadcaster, any news uh, um, uh, outlet, he's, he's getting more hits than CNN and all these other people. Fuck, that's incredible. Good on him. I feel like a meathead is at the top. Because he seems like a fucking meathead. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a Thornex gym and he fucking swings kettlebells and he likes to, you know, I mean, dude, he's like, he's legitimately like, uh, uh, you know, fits within that circle. Like, I mean, dude likes to eat steak. He likes to kill shit. You know, Cameron Haynes and the whole deal. Like, fuck man, good on him. And I'm stoked that like somebody like us is in that position of power. Cause I know he'll wield that fucking sword, mm-hmm. that flaming sword. Yes. And the, uh, appreciated comments he made on leadership essentially opening yourself up even as a person in a position of authority to then still like allow yourself to be mentored by those uh, you are leading or open yourself. And then he referenced the same respect to uh, within the house. So like the, say a father in the house working on allowing themselves to be loved. So the same, I guess, mechanisms and components in place as a leader, and then as the authority figure within your home, rather than what a lot of us men out there are used to as like, you know, non-love in the home, not saying love you and things like that. Yeah, you well, need to be able to be assertive and surrender at the same time. And well, the, uh, working on yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Wasn't it, um, man, it was Chris Rock that made the interesting point where he's like, men are only appreciated if they can provide. Everybody loves and takes care of women and children. Men only have value as long as they can provide something. The minute they can't provide, they no longer have, you know, they no longer have value. And I think what Jordan Peterson was talking about is, uh, you know, you always have value as long as you give yourself value and you value yourself. So, yeah. And skill of opening yourself up for that's a long way of saying do some more cocky walks at practice. Uh, dude. Uh, I think, uh, um, you know, I think we've been in a really interesting time because for so long uh, there's been this kind of standard narrative. And because individuals that controlled that narrative controlled the way that we absorbed information. And now we have this deal, which is like information can be absorbed by anybody who's putting it out because it's so easily digestible. 
what it's done is it's uh, because of all that noise. I think what we've seen is we've seen interesting people like a Jordan Peterson rise to the top. And what's amazing, having read both of his books, which Mr. McQuilkin provided me on Christmas presents, which thank you, which allowed me to read all Jordan Peterson stuff. Cheers. Um, uh, so what's been fascinating to me is you'll hear people be like, oh, he's a white supremacist or a misogynist. And I've heard all these negative pieces. And as an intelligent individual, having read his books and heard him speak and having been there, I'm like, I don't, I can't even fucking, I like to believe empathy is the idea of like, I can put myself in your position to try to see your point of view. One of the first things they teach you in rhetoric is if you want to argue against somebody, the first thing you have to do is walk a mile in their shoes and understand their point of view from their argument. If you understand where that person's coming from, then you can effectively defeat their argument. I can't even fucking see where their shoes are when they say that stuff. I've not heard a single thing like, and then when people be like, oh, he's a piece of shit, like talk shit on him. Like, ah, like, I mean, I'm uh, like, he's an intelligent thinker and a thoughtful man. Like you're going to shit on that guy for that. For what reason? Like, like give me something exactly. He said, do you think it's like an intimidation factor? Uh, I think, I think we're in a really interesting time where um, I think people don't have the ability to think for themselves. So it's a lot easier just to like digest what the next guy pushes them. And I, I think people aren't willing to do the work. I think that like if uh, if I don't like somebody, it's easier just to not like them for what somebody else said than to dive in and be like, I don't like this guy, but I'm going to figure out why I don't like him. I'm going to read both of his books. I'm going to listen to him talk and I'm going to read something he's written and I'm, and I'm going to pretend to, or I'm going to put myself in the situation to be a fan of this individual to actually give them an honest shake. Like the fact that people like uh, rip on Joe Rogan and they're like, guys, like I would never listen to a podcast. He's a piece of shit. Well, how would you know unless you listen to his podcast? Right. Like I, I like him as a UFC commentator. I like him. Uh, I remember him from Fear Factor. I've heard his stand up. His stand up was good. And that goes back to being influenced by the people that you surround yourself with the most. Right. They, they, people probably hear a narrative on him or an opinion on him. And it's easy just to accept that as truth. Because your closest friends, your closest people surrounding you are telling you that. So rather than waste any energy to go out and search for yourself and think for yourself, it's easier just to accept it. So what are some action items that we could sum all this up and have people take away to go think for themselves? Uh, I think you have to go to powerathlete.com or powerathletehq.com or slash training. I'm fucking it up today. So powerathletehq.com slash training. And I want you to check out some training programs. And if you're really interested in learning more about how to heal your back and really just improve your performance, <laughs> you need to go to academy.powerathletehq.com and check out the foot course, the back course, methodology and all this. And uh, if you're really interested in this conversation and you want to inject more, you can always reach out to our hotline. 929-464-464. ing ing. Zero. And you can leave us a question on the hotline. You can also reach out to at PowerAthleteHQ on social media and you can shoot us a DM. Uh, I probably won't see it because I don't have access to that account. But if you want to get my opinion on something, at John Wellborn, you can also reach at McQuilkin or at Rooted in Movement. Yes. And John, I'm going to throw this out there. I have a blog suggestion for you based off title alone. Clean Your Own Gym by John Wellborn. Mm. So he he was talking about Western Canada and he was also talking about uh, Northwestern or sorry. Yeah. Uh, Northwest Canadian art. And he was talking about like that deal, uh, as you know, through my whole house, because uh, my grandfather, you know, Vancouver, uh, you know, used to sail his boat up and down all through there up into, uh, you know, Pasadena and up into um, 
uh, Bowen Island, all that, collected all that stuff. And so when he started talking about Western Canada and especially like that culture, that's always been very near and dear to my heart. So there was just a, uh, the thing I appreciate about him, thoughtful man, well-dressed, interesting conversation. And the fact that he brought his daughter on to, to open for him just showed like the fact that he's puts his trust in his family. Very easy. Could have had a, a other people, but you know, wanted to put her in that situation and help her along, you know, good on him. I, uh, I don't think he has any, I think she, she's his only child. No, he's, he also is his son. Oh, she's the, she's the oldest. Yeah. She's the oldest. So yeah, good on him, man. I, um, but yeah, he, he has my respect and, uh, I think it was a good, uh, a, uh, uh, Excellent opportunity, but uh, I'll tell you, I think 2024, Joe Rogan for president. I'm voting him in. We're right in. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time. Bye.